Hi, everyone. Oh, you have no rival. You have no equal. I could sing that all day long. There is no one like our God. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, if you're new with us today, thanks for joining us in worship. We are sincerely glad that you're here. And if you would, just take a moment this morning and fill out the connection card. You'll find that in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, Take a moment this morning, fill it out. We'll pass the offering bags uh, later on in the service, and you can just drop the connection card in the bag at that time. And uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. And our North End edition over there is, there's amazing progress happening there, and it is so exciting to see it uh, getting closer and closer to being finished. And so many of you have already volunteered a lot of your time and your effort into uh, making that space happen. And so we just want to say thank you. Thanks for all the time and effort you've put into that. And there is still a lot of work to be done. And so if that's something that you're, you're interested, able, and willing to help out with, we would love it. Uh, in the back of the connection card, uh, there's a box there that you can check for helping out with the North End Edition. And we'll make sure that we get all the information to you that you need for that. If you've got carpentry experience, that's awesome. But if you're just a good cleaner, we would take that too. So anything in between, we would love your help. Well, today uh, we're going to continue our uh, study of, the, of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And uh, today we're going to look at a, a passage that has just incredible insight for us in how we deal with anxiety. And if you're an anxious person, um, it's possible that this passage in your Bible is it's highlighted, it's underlined in many different colors, and maybe you've got a sticky note in there as well. Um, And if you've gone through Rooted, a portion of today's passage uh, you were asked to memorize, so it might be familiar to you from that. Uh, But before we we go through that passage, um, I do want to briefly touch on a couple of points that Paul makes in verses 2 through 3 of chapter 4, okay, regarding disagreements we may have with one another in the body of Christ. So we're going we're gonna to turn there now. We're going to learn what Paul has to say to us in these verses. And then we will uh, spend the rest of our time this morning talking about anxiety and our prayer life and thankfulness. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 through 3 is where we'll begin. Paul says this, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion... Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's addressing two women who are having a bit of a disagreement with one another, Eodia and Syntyche. We aren't given much information about these women. We don't know who they are or even what they were disagreeing about Uh, But we can infer that because Paul chose to mention these two women by name in a public letter, mind you, how would you feel someone did that to you? Um, We can assume that these women were vital to the unity of the church at Philippi and that their their issue together, their disagreement, it was serious enough and warranted bringing up in this way. And so this was no petty argument that they were having. Um, And so I'm just going to pick the low-hanging fruit here for our first point this morning, that disagreement amongst mature believers is okay. 
Okay, these women were mature followers of Christ, committed to the gospel, and they were having a disagreement. Disagreement isn't the enemy, hatred is. Healthy churches are not healthy because there isn't disagreement in it, but in how those in them disagree. And it's imperative for just the spread of the gospel that we in the church, we look different from the rest of the world in how we disagree with one another. It is okay for us to have disagreements. We don't need to be surprised by this. And Paul addresses someone referred to as his true companion in this passage to help these women. And some translations say yoke fellow, which some believe to be an actual proper name. And for our purposes, it's clearly unnecessary to name the person, um, since everyone at Philippi, including the one addressed, would have known who it was that was intended. So what can we learn from this? We occasionally need help from others in our disagreements with one another. It is okay to ask for help. Then, of course, this shouldn't happen every single time we have a disagreement with one another. The goal is always to resolve an issue together. However, sometimes we do need the help of others. It's helpful and it's good. And it's important for us to note that whoever this true companion was, he or she, it's safe to say that he or she was a prominent and influential member of the congregation, uh, perhaps a person of tact as well as influence. In other words, he or she was a trusted, mature follower of Christ. So for us, just finding someone off the street is not going to cut it in this situation. Okay, we too, when seeking someone to help resolve an issue, uh, ought to find someone whom both parties trust and respect. Now, I want to clarify one thing. Conflict resolution, it is difficult, okay? It is not always guaranteed. Paul is not off advocating for some linear, streamlined process here. Um, these sorts of situations can be messy, and they can be painful. And I know of situations where two believers in Christ, even with the help of a trusted mediator, continue to struggle to resolve an issue together. This stuff is difficult, and it requires generous, generous amounts of grace and humility. And one thing we learn from Paul's life is that he never saw his struggles as absent of God's teaching. Throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians, I mean, it's obvious that Paul saw his hardships and his sufferings and his disagreements with others as his greatest teacher. God used difficult circumstances to mold and shape Paul to become more like Jesus. So the question for us is this. Do you believe that God will use your disagreement with others as a teacher in your own sanctification? Is there anyone whom you need to reconcile with? Maybe you need to bring someone else into the conversation to help guide that. Are you allowing God to shape you, not the other person, are you allowing God to shape you and mold you in your relationship with that person? Reconciliation, it's always the goal, but it's never guaranteed, and God is just as much in the process as he is in the end result. It's good for us to remember that. Okay, I, uh, I said brief and I meant it. So we're going to move on uh, to verses 4 through 7 of Philippians. 
And this is what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is once again charging the Philippians and urging them to rejoice. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 18. And it's important to remember that Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. Okay, Paul's own precarious situation uh, tells us that he knew about hardship and suffering all too well. And so he could write with some credibility on the subject. If anyone could tell us to rejoice in all circumstances... It was Paul. And this ongoing rejoicing cannot be based or grounded upon the particular circumstances of the Philippian church. Rather, it is independent of them. So how can this be possible? How do we rejoice in all circumstances? And I think our answer comes from verse 5. Because the Lord is at hand. Some translations say the Lord is near. And there are two ways to understand this. First, when Paul says that the Lord is near, he could be referring to the actual, close, intimate presence of God with the believer. Echoes of this are found in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Or Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Another way to read this is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. By the Lord is near, Paul could be appealing to the second coming of Christ and the hope that this entails. Now, I don't think that we need to decide between the two. I think both interpretations are theologically correct. God is near and Jesus will come again. We rejoice today no matter what our circumstances are because God is with us. And God will come again to restore all things under his mighty name. And I think here's what Paul is saying. That God's active presence in our lives, that is the source of our joy and our peace. God's presence in our lives is the source of our joy and peace. As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be the most joyful and peaceful people on earth. Why do we rejoice? Because God is with us. Why are we thankful? Because the Lord is at hand. And why do we offer up our prayers to God? Because God is near. We can and should pray because we have a heavenly father who eagerly bends his ear towards us with pleasure when his children come to him and we just bring our cares and our worries to him with gratitude. This active presence from God is the reason Paul says what he does in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there it is. There's that uh, tricky little word in there, anxiety. So we're going to discuss more later what it means to be thankful and how gratitude 
uh, influences our prayer life. But for now, I'd like to have just an honest talk about anxiety. What is it? How does it affect us spiritually? And how does it affect the heart of God? Now, I can say with confidence that no one in this room this morning wants to be anxious, right? That's a fair assumption. No one wants to be anxious. But I have noticed a tendency in our society, in our world today, for us to make excuses for our anxiety. I often hear things like this. Well, if I don't worry about my children, who will? Or I'm only anxious because I care. Or perhaps you've heard yourself say, you know, I wouldn't be anxious if I could just make this happen or if I could just prevent this from happening. Now, I personally struggle with anxiety a great deal. And in my own moments of anxiety, I've, I've noticed, and I wouldn't verbally admit this in the moment, but I believe in the lie that, you know, just being anxious, it just feels like the responsible thing to be right now. If I wasn't anxious about this, I might drop the ball. So we make excuses for our anxiety and worry. We justify it. Now, I'd like to propose something this morning that at first it might come across as maybe a little bit too strong, but I want you to give me some time to flesh it out, okay? And that is this, that anxiety is sin. Anxiety is sin. Don't check out on me, okay? Hang in there. Listen to me. Let's work through this together and uh, unpack what I mean when I say that anxiety is sin. Anxiety is a statement about God's goodness. Rather, it is an accusation. The reason I believe that anxiety is a sin is because anxiety calls out God to be a liar. Anxiety questions the goodness and the nearness of God that we just talked about. Anxiety says, God, if you were good, you would do this, or you would prevent this from happening. Or here's something we often hear in the back of our minds on the onsets of anxiety. Does God really care about me? Does God really have my best interests in mind? Does that sound familiar at all to you? Genesis 3.1, the serpent in the garden, posed the question. Said, did God really say? Here's my point. When we choose anxiety and worry, we are accusing God of not being good enough or strong enough to take care of our needs. Questioning and doubting God's character, it is a big deal. And when we really take the time to get to the root of anxiety, I believe that it will almost always lead to some mistrust in the goodness and nearness of God. So why are we anxious? Because we want control And we realize that we don't have it. I mean, seriously, like in today's society, we are obsessed with control. We're addicted to it. We want to control something, but we realize that we cannot control it. And so anxiety kind of fills in the natural void of the tension in between the two, which ultimately sometimes leads to more anxiety. I mean, it can feel like an endless feedback loop that can feel impossible to get out of. Anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, his knowledge, and his power. 
Here's what the great Scottish theologian Oswald Chambers put so well. He says, worrying always results in sin. We tend to think that a little anxiety and worry are simply an indication of how wise we really are. Yet, it is actually a much better indication of just how wicked we are. Fretting rises from our determination to have our own way. Our Lord never worried and was never anxious because his purpose was never to accomplish his own plans, but to fulfill God's plans. Fretting is wickedness for a child of God. So, can we just call it for what it is? Anxiety is sin. And I believe that it is sin because anxiety is mistrust in the goodness of God. So some of you may be thinking to yourself, Logan, okay, I appreciate it, but if you knew my situation, you would understand. And you're absolutely right. Like, I don't know your situation, and I understand that life can be scary, it can be unpredictable, and it can be difficult. And here's the deal. I consider myself to be the chief of anxiety, okay? I'm really good at it. If you want a crash course on how to worry about stupid things, come to me. Let's spend some time together, and I'll walk you through it. Uh, My wife can attest to this. I worry about whether or not my roof is leaking. I worry about failing at my job. I worry about whether or not you guys like me. I worry about whether or not Kraft macaroni and cheese causes cancer because it tastes so good. (laughs) The list, it really just goes on and on and on. But here's the deal. God promises to take care of us. His word, y'all, is just saturated and promises to take care of his children. And when we choose to be anxious and worry, we are questioning on God's ability to follow through on his word. Now, a couple disclaimers that I want to touch on. Okay, first, there are conditions that require the help of medication. Okay, I have friends who are mature, Christ-following people who take anti-anxiety medication. I believe there are medical conditions that warrant the help of medicinal aid. God designed our bodies to operate with a balanced set of chemicals. And because of the fall, sometimes those chemicals and those balances get off. And it is here that medicine can be a great aid to us. Medicine when prescribed by a trusted physician and when used appropriately can be a gift from God. Okay, it is okay to take medication for this. But what is not okay and is the norm for our culture is to turn to medication, be it medicinal or some other worldly comfort, maybe it's food, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's work, to fill a void, to fill a hole that only God can fill. This is not okay. Medicine has a place, but it can never take God's place or be a substitute for God's peace in our lives. Second disclaimer, this passage is not a prescription that Paul gives to fix your life, okay? If I had, I have, I mean, I've had sleepless nights, okay? 1 a.m. in the morning, I'm in my living room, my heart is pounding, and I am just worried about whatever it is I'm worried about. 
And I've done this. And so I've gone to Philippians 4 and I have, I've said, okay, God, I'm thankful for these, genuinely thankful. And I pray and I do all the things that I think I'm supposed to do. And here's the deal. Sometimes the anxiety is just there. And it doesn't go away. Does that mean that God's word is flawed? Absolutely not. I believe that I still am convinced in my heart of hearts that God is still the source of my peace. I'm not going to find it anywhere else. And there have been times where I have gone to the Lord and I've done this. And y'all, I have experienced a peace that truly did surpass my understanding. It surpassed my comprehension. And so if you're hearing this today and you're thinking, well, I've tried that and it didn't work for me. My encouragement would be to keep going. Keep going. The peace we are looking for is found in the surrender. Keep surrendering it to him. Our prayers and supplications are not, God, do this, or God, do that. They are acts of surrender. The more we learn to let go and give our cares to a loving and caring Heavenly Father, the more that we're going to feel safe in his gentle care over our lives. Paul is not offering some one-time silver bullet fix here. He's talking about a lifestyle. Every moment of every day ought to be filled with prayerful surrender to God. I don't say these things this morning to condemn us. Rather, I say these things to you because of our final point, that when anxiety comes, God is inviting us to repentance through prayerful surrender. When anxiety comes, God is inviting us to repentance through joyful surrender. Anytime we face anxiety, God is inviting us into something deeper. If you are seeking God's peace in the method of trying to control God to get whatever you want, I would argue you're missing the point of this passage. For Paul, the goal is not to bring our cares to God so we get what we want. As Sam said last or a few weeks ago, God is the prize. Jesus is the reward. Have you ever considered that the reason you don't feel peace yet is because you have yet to truly surrender? Now here's what I'd like to propose. What if the peace that we seek in God is found in better understanding our dependence on him? What if the peace that we're seeking is better understanding how truly dependent we are rather than just getting what we want? Now, it's interesting if you recall back in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul writes this concerning his desire to send Epaphroditus to the Philippians. He says this in uh, 2.28. He says, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So was Paul anxious? Yes, he was. He struggled with anxiety. Of course he did. But here's the thing. Paul practiced what he preached. Okay, This is from chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 3 through 4. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Do you see that? Paul prayed for the church. He did so with thanksgiving. 
And he did it while rejoicing. So am I saying that every single time an anxious thought pops into your mind, you are sinning? No, it's not what I'm saying. Especially if you have a medical condition, you might be doing this. You might be like immersed in Philippians 4. You might be doing the hard work. And sometimes it's just hard, y'all. It's hard. But I do believe that when anxiety comes, we do have a choice. Dwelling on something out of fearful desire to control it or prayerfully surrendering it to God. Now, I can't draw that line for you. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit in your own life in regards to this. The point is not do everything you can to not be anxious. No, the point is to go to the Lord when you do. When you become aware of it, lay it down. If you remember a couple months ago now, Steve said that if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. So let us not meditate on what we can't control, but choose to give it to the one who can, who can through our prayers and our supplications. Here's the thing. I mean, God knows all of our desires before we bring them to him, right? I mean, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He gets it. He knows it all. So why do we offer up our prayers with thanksgiving? Because in doing so, we are expressing our sincere dependence on his generous care over our lives. I mean, it's so important that we, we must join thanksgiving and our prayers, not only to seek the good that we want, but also to acknowledge our neediness and to own the mercies that we've received. So why be thankful? Thankfulness restores the natural order of our dependence on God. It is the way that it was always supposed to be. Childlike dependence on God, it's not a punishment. It's actually the Christian's greatest joy. Notice how Paul says to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. He leaves no room for any exception here, okay? I didn't write the book, okay? That's what he says. There's no, be worried about nothing except for situations regarding money and family. He says, no, don't be anxious about anything. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But in everything, seek the Lord because he cares for you. So what is he advocating? I believe he's advocating that when we choose to surrender to God, every anxiety and worry that comes our way, we're choosing a lifestyle of repentance. Does God really expect us to pray about every single worry and anxiety that comes our way? Yes, he absolutely does. We should be that dependent upon God. Repentance through thankful prayer, it is no burden. God is worth it. And this isn't something that we do once a week. I mean, most of the time for me, I feel like I need to repent every five minutes. Okay, repentance for the believer in Jesus Christ, it should just, it should feel like breathing. Inhale and exhale. The picture is here, the picture here that Paul's painting is to live every single moment aware of what my thoughts dwell on. 
And so practical, I mean, this is what happens for me. This is what this looks like. I mean, I, so I come before the Lord. Lord, I, I just, here's the thing. I feel the need to control this. There is an issue in my life, and I am just feeling super anxious about this, Lord. And here's the deal. I am not God. I'm not God. I am just Logan. I am insufficient, and I am weak. But you are powerful, and you are strong, and your word is so clear that you care about my needs. In fact, God, I believe that you care about this situation more than I do. Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Holy Spirit, thank you that I can lay this down at your feet. So God, this issue, I just bring it before you. I lay it at your feet because I know that this is better in your hands than it is in mine. Prayer in and of itself is an act of surrender, and it is an act of repentance. Prayer with thanksgiving, it is the healing balm to life's worries and anxieties. The way that we're anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Now here is what we can expect. The more we grow in Christ-likeness, the more the Holy Spirit is going to let you and me know when we are picking up anxiety. Now, this is a great thing, okay? God loves you so much that he is going to lovingly make you aware of all the areas of your life that are not yet fully surrendered to him. And he will do this in the most gentle and loving way possible. And when he does, rejoice, I say it again, rejoice. For when you feel anxiety come, know that God, he is inviting you into something deeper. He's inviting you into a more intimate walk of trust and dependence on him. When we learn to surrender, when we learn to bring our cares to him and let go of any end result or expectation, and we, intrus- we choose to entrust our lives to the good shepherd who knows every single hair on your head, then we experience the peace that surpasses understanding. We do this because we have everything that we need in Jesus. We have everything we need in him. He is where our confidence is found. At the end of verse 7, Paul says that this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the reason for our peace. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus experienced the anxiety of the cross so that you and I would never have to. Jesus loves and cares for you so much that he would die for you to give you eternal life, a blessed hope a resurrected body. Why would we not also entrust to him all the temporary afflictions of our lives? Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate display of how far God would go to bring you peace. But here's the thing. The peace, it's in him. He is the peace. He's the reward. It's not in our circumstances. It's not anything that we're ever going to get. He is the peace. Everything else, it's just the cherry on top 
okay? I'm not saying God doesn't answer prayers. Like, we bring our prayers to him because we believe he answers them. But that's just all extra credit. I mean, it's just all the gift. But God is the peace. He's the reward. So, I want to encourage us, and I want to challenge us today to be resolute in our repentance of anxiety. Let's stop making excuses for it. Let us not shrug off anxiety as some symptom of the fall that we fall victim to. Rather, let us hold fast to the care and the protection of God in Jesus Christ and we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, who loves us so perfectly. And this morning, I'd like to close reading a passage um, that for some of us may be well known. And as I read this, I would invite you to close your eyes here in just a moment. And I want you to listen to this passage as though it is the very first time you've ever heard it. Listen to this passage with fresh ears this morning. And after I read it, I'm going to give you a moment to practice what we've talked about this morning. I'm going to give you time to just talk to the Lord. What are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for and what cares do you need to bring to him? So if you would, close your eyes as I read this passage. This is God's word to you this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I want you to take, take a moment now and talk to the Lord.
Lord Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us when we don't believe in your promises to take care of us. We ask you this morning that you would restore us to your goodness. Restore us to right thinking about who you are, that we would entrust to you all of the details of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.